Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, a channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so, so much for stopping by for the today's episode of Good Trouble. Yes, I'm back with Good Trouble. Uh, yeah, I just made my, my guest over here happy. He likes causing good trouble. He knows what we're talking about over here. It is the program where I engage in above-the-table essential conversations that I feel are necessary, especially in the culture space, uh, in a spirit of education and compassion. No trolling here. This is all about education. And I have the perfect gentleman when it comes to education, a philosophy professor. Uh, he is paid for this stuff. Uh, a philosophy professor that is no higher level of education. Ask me, I'm a philosophy major, so of course I'm going to say that. Uh, he is the author of uh, Culture and Ancestry in 5th edition. It is a supplement that is released on Arcanist Press. You can go purchase it from Drive RPG. I'll include a link in the show notes. There's also supplemental material and a very, very deep thinker when it comes to culture, ancestry, all that stuff. It is uh, my pleasure to introduce Dr. Eugene Marshall. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on. It's great. That's very kind. All right. I've, oh, man, I'm, I'm so pumped about this because the so the, the article or the not the article, but the, the supplement uh, culture and ancestry came out last year, June mm-hmm. 2020, right in the middle of <laughs> everything. George Floyd, uh, in the larger universe of so Black Lives Matter and that kind of thing. But also, uh, so this is a board gaming channel, but your supplement is focused on Dungeons and Dragons and role playing in general. So uh, there was a reckoning within Dungeons and Dragons about how it presents races and cultures. And, uh, it, you know, it, there's a lot of stereotypes. Let's just go right for it. it, it pre- the way it's presented over since Gary Gygax on down, it's a lot of stereotypes that got stuck in there. And if you don't believe that, then listen to the show. We will explain about stereotypes and racism and racism, everything that's happening. So let's do a 101. Uh, let's do a 101. Let's start with you, Dr. Eugene Marshall, and then, you know, talk about Arcanist Press and that project. And then we can move on to the supplement. Okay. So, um, so me, I'm, uh, the, the author and co-owner of Arcanist Press, uh, uh, which, uh, came, was created last February, 2020, when I launched a Kickstarter for this product, uh, Ancestry and Culture and Alternative to Race in 5e, thinking it would be something tiny. I set a goal of $300 and it, but it just blew up. It got, you know, eight seventy-five, eight $8,000 in two weeks. And so then I thought, oh, wow, there's a bigger audience than I realized. Uh, and the thing is, I wasn't even planning on selling it at all. I, uh, the story behind the, the product is this. I had been playing since the early 80s, Redbox, uh, Menser edition. Yep. And Me too. Uh, Me too. Uh, was that first edition or second? It's the basic set. So it basic came out set. around this, you know, it was, a, it was an alternative. It was a kind of an, a newbie intro to mm-hmm. D&D during the AD&D era. And the idea would be you'd play basic and one of those, you know, in the basic, you know, expert, whatever series, and then you'd graduate to advanced d but I didn't because I like, I like the basic system better. But um, so uh, I've been playing for a long time and I, you know, look, white person here. So I kind of grew up not noticing the problems, you know, uh, but uh, I, I, when I came back to play, because I took about a 10 year hiatus for grad school and kids and stuff, it, in 2014, the fifth edition, you know, sort of reading about it. And uh, I was sort of reading bloggers and essayists like N.K. Jemison wrote this great thing about 10 years ago called The Unbearable Baggage of Orking. And then you've got 
James Mendez Hodes and Graham Barber and all these uh, authors of color talking about how they found the way race is handled in D&D problematic. I kind of opened my eyes. I didn't realize it. And, and, in, and we're having yeah. this reckoning in board gaming as well. So like I did the video, which I showed you on Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven right. is the number one. I don't, are you familiar with Gloomhaven? Yeah, huge Kickstarter success, right? Yeah, huge Kickstarter. And then Frosthaven as well, right? Absolutely. So then, uh, you know, that, you know, Isaac Childress, you know, which has been very much recounted on this channel, you know, said, okay, we need to get a cultural consultant in here to clean some of the stuff up that we did. People got mad, <laughs> right. you know, uh, and, and in your area. So D&D, so we're doing, so we're very conscious about the crossover. Right. Yeah. So like um, so until so in Dungeons and Dragons and it's not just um, in Dungeons and Dragons, like it's kind of all over tabletop gaming. It's just like that's the big one. Right. It's like yeah, the big, for sure. It's like the bad year blimp in the middle of everything. So that's why we're focusing on D&D and Gloomhaven. So then, you know, so then we're talking about like seeing it with new eyes. Right. And we're talking about seeing it, you know, and I, I, when I grew up, I didn't see it either. Right. And I, it didn't take me until having experiences. And no, not indoctrinated, not like my, my mind was not warped. You just have to take my word for it, which is one, a thing that people say. Right? I'm sure you've heard that a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, just kind of seeing it and matching up my experience and having different experiences with other people and saying, whoa, this is something's wrong here. And we're going to detail that. We're going to absolutely drill down and detail on, on, you know, what we saw, you know, once we looked at it with new eye. So, right. the, so let's so, so pick it up in 2014. Right. You picked it up and you yeah. had those new eyes. Yeah, thanks to these other writers. I mean, so I, I think I do think it's important to, that I acknowledge they're the ones that taught me, right? Uh, right. And uh, but so then I, I just was playing around. So in 2019, some people were could, like, "Well, let's see if we can fix this." And they posted some people. Some posted Tristan Tarwater, and for other people, posted uh, attempts to solve it, like fix the mechanics of race on like D and D Beyond. I didn't really, I liked what they're doing, but I thought I could try and do something different. So I wrote something up, showed it to a friend and he said, oh my God, you should put this online or publish it. It's great. So there was that zine quest in February and I thought, well, I'll just throw that up there and it ended up exploding. And uh, yeah, and so all of this was uh, coming out of just the, the ongoing conversation about the problematic nature of orcs and D&D and racism. And then it just so happened that like, it took me X number of months to finish the, to produce the Kickstarter and I released it like the week uh, you know, where Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. kind of resurged into the, you know, into the uh, mainstream attention. And so that was just, you know, an uh, accident. It just came uh, right together, right. Right. And it ended up being really fortuitous. And then a few weeks after that, uh, Wizards of the Coast, I, I'm not saying they were responding to my book. They were responding to the ongoing conversation uh, in the community, uh, said, look, we, we recognize we've done a bad job with race and we're going to try and do better. Keep your eyes open for our future books. And, you know, uh, there's been some sign of some progress that, you know, they're a big, there's a big ship. And so it takes a long time to, to, to change directions. Right. But a few months later, they released Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, which had a small, uh, but it was know, a first down. It was yeah, a first, it wasn't yeah. a touchdown. It was a first down. It was like, we moved the marker a little bit forward. Yeah. We'll get, yeah. We will get to that. We will get to that. Uh, yeah. what the, what that is. So that's, so the conversation was ongoing, right? When this came out. So it ended up having kind of a, a splash for that reason. Right. Okay. So like that, so that, so there it is. And I'm showing, uh, you know, at various points, I'm going to show the, um, the actual book. You can get it. It's on drive through RPG, uh, the, the PDF, right? It's ne it never was printed. Was it? No, you can get it printed you to, uh, print on it. demand okay. from drive through too. Yeah. Okay. So print on demand. Yeah. Right. So it's not like a supplement that you could buy. It's but not it, it, in this in stores or anything. It There's looks like one. It's laid out like one. 
So well, you- <laughs> yeah, that Kickstarter money, that's where that went to. I wanted to make it because I thought if it looked professional, right, uh, people would take it a little more seriously. So, Absolutely. okay. Uh, so before we get to what's in that supplement, though, we should probably articulate the problem because it, it, obviously, you know, I've done videos and videos and videos about this problem, but it, it, people just don't get it. And it's not like it's not like I'm not accusing anybody being like dumb or anything. It's just you're in a mindset. You know, you grew up in a mindset. You grew up in with certain ideas, you know, all the time. It's like, OK, you know, D&D is my escape from real life and it's just fantasy and it's yep. just a game and all these kind of like different ways in which we have kind of, we believe that D&D and fantasy and things like Gloomhaven or, you know, the big products are kind of sectioned off mm-hmm. from what's going on in the real world. Mm-hmm. And what this project is, is saying, okay, those barriers are not as solid as you think. Stuff gets in. The problematic stuff that happens gets in. So talk a little bit about the problem itself. Yep. And then we so- can move on. There's a couple ways. There's a couple parts to the problem, really. And let me talk about one of them. Uh, so, look, uh, it just so happens that in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons and many other of the editions and uh, fantasy gaming and storytelling, really, in general, there are often uh, races of people, or if you prefer, lineages or species or civilizations or groups of people that are described as. Uh, by nature, like in their blood, by birth, evil, or uh, ignorant and like, uh, you know, unintelligent or savage. And that in many of those story worlds, including D&D, often at least, they are presented as really, there's only two things you can do with them. You can conquer and enslave them, or you can er eradicate them, right? Uh, What do you do with an orc horde? You don't you don't make a, in, again, in often traditional storytelling, you don't right. like make a diplomacy with them, right? You you have to conquer them because that's all they understand, right? Um, okay, And Fine. it's the by nature thing. And I've talked about this many times. Yep. And it's like, when we talk about, you know, there is racism in these products, what we're talking about is, like, I think people go to like, okay, they did it on purpose and they intentionally did it. It's like, okay, you know, are you calling the people that wrote D&D racist? No, I, it, it's, it's not about race, it's about bias. And our bias in our, the way we tell stories is that we, especially when it's like out groups, like, you know, when, you know, when we're doing non, you know, like whatever it is, males or whatever it is, or that, we tend to talk in terms of this nature category. And that's what race is all about. Right, yeah. So, I mean, so the problem, right, is that you've got a storytelling technique in this world and it's that is like says, Hey, there's, this is a group of people that is simply born to be conquered, defeated. They're born savage, ignorant and evil. Uh, And here's the problem with that. Okay. Look, you might say, yeah, but they're not, they're not, they're not humans. They're not, they're not, you're not saying this of a group of humans. They're, they're made up people who cares. Fine. I get that. But here's the problem. Let's say you're a player and you sit, you have experienced, that attitude in real life, right? You've suffered in some way because of real world racism. Now you sit down and you know, you're not, we're not, none of us are stupid. We know that orcs aren't humans. So you might think, well, that's different. Here's the problem. If you experience uh, something awful in your real world life every day, you might not want to have to play act it again when you sit down for your game. So, but the problem is that D&D kind of shoves it in your face. You can't, mm-hmm. if you sit down and you want to play a half-orc, you're just looking through the races and you're like, well, it could be a half-orc. Oh, 
by nature, they are savage and, and, and intimidating and menacing. And that's just who they are. Minus right? two you intelligence. Know? Yeah. I went yeah, the right. Thing, yeah. Right. Right. So you're like, Oh, that's kind of a bummer. And then again, you, if you read some of the texts, even in fifth edition, but also in earlier editions, it's implied that half orcs only come about through rape. So this is not the, the orc people are not people that they're depicted as lesser. They're depicted as worthy of conquest only or enslavement. And as N.K. Jemison put it in her essay, she says, you know what, for somebody like her, she says, this sounds familiar. They're almost people, but they need to be civilized by, you know, the more advanced peoples of the world. And she's like, oh, this again, right? So that kind of turns a lot of people off. They're just like, oh, I don't really want to play act racism. I live it, right? It's not fun, right? So I will say that if there's a person who's not experienced racism and they're saying, this is baloney, we shouldn't worry about this. I think you want my opinion as a white person, those people should shut the heck up. Uh, oh, okay, what, so what the heck do they know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I know that's quite confrontational and maybe that should be edited out if that's what you prefer. But let me just say for, they should shut the heck up for a second ah. and think, because let me make an analogy that might help. Imagine that you have suffered some other injustice. Let's say you have suffered, unfortunately, let's say you've suffered sexual assault in your life and it's, it was a traumatic thing. Or let's say you suffered, you were a prisoner of war and you were mistreated. You then sit down to just have a fun game with your friends and they pull out, it's the torture of the prisoners of war game, right? You're like, it's the let's sexually assault people game. And you might think, ah, oh, you know, that might stir up old bad memories that might make you uncomfortable. You might not be able to have fun play acting something that was is so closely associated with like pain and suffering that you experienced. But when you sit down to make a D&D character, you, you kind of are stuck with the fact that, well, in the D&D world, pe people just are smart or stupid, savage or civilized because of their DNA or because who their parents are. doesn't matter what you can take an orc and teach them whatever you want. They're still dumb savages. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that. Yeah. so some people are like, eh, I live that. I don't want to play it. Uh, and that's a way in which it's, it's not that, you know, that's one way in which the game can be less uh, welcoming, less inclusive, less uh, open to people that have suffered those things in the real world. So I'm thinking like, look, uh, I would like D&D &D to be open and available and welcoming and fun for anybody who wants to play. I want the community to grow and be more successful because if you want to, if I want to speak in an entirely mercenary way, more people playing means more books sold, means more money for the company, means more books produced. I like D&D books. Um, <laughs> also, there's the more, there's the moral issue. It's like, well, I would, I don't want to exclude somebody that I could play with. That's, that's no fun, right? Mm -hmm. I want anybody to be welcome at the table. So uh, if, if there's a part of the game that says, that makes people say, oh, that's a drag. That's I, every time that comes up, I'm, I, I'm like, oh yeah that time that I was treated that way, not that you, that you were treated like an orc, but that the same assumption was made about you or about your family or about somebody in your, your heritage, right? You might think, oh, that's kind of a drag. I, yeah, I had to suffer that. And now I've got to pretend I got to go out. I wanted to play a tiefling and now I got to go out and deal with being people being racist against me in my games. Can I just have a break for a minute? Right? So um, that was the, I, I thinking I was coming up with that's like, this is a problem that some people encounter that makes it less fun for them to play. 
Okay, now, so no, let's actually, yeah. um, I want to pause on that for just for a second, because I think that maybe among the thing, the comments that I got when I released my video was, you know, it's I, like, it's not really there. It's I, like, I don't see it. Therefore, it's not there type thing. Like, I, I, have you encountered that and as you have, you know, posted and, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, that that's ridiculous. Like, I, so I, I did an example in Gloomhaven. There was um, there's a, a creature uh, called Vermlings. Right. And the vermlings are they're basically rodent creatures, you know, vermin. Mm -hmm. And they are what I think. And this is one of the contentious things. Right. So I think and I think it's pretty clear, but it's like coded along like Native American, you know, mm -hmm. tropes. Right. So like they were there and then, the, you know, the humans came in and conquered them and they dispelled them from the land. And, you know, they even have like shamanistic and, you know, like kind of mm -hmm. native tropes. And if you read the read deeper into the lore, then it's like, OK, they're garbage eating savages and they're barely above intelligent. And it's like. You know, I'm sitting there as a person who is, you know, very into this stuff going, oh, come on. You know, it's just it's screaming right in the face. But then I get all this pushback in my comments saying you're 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 looking into it. That's not it's clearly not there. So I'm not like, have you encountered that? And how do you deal with that pushback? Yeah, that's really that's easy. I mean, so I, I totally get what they're saying. And that's a there's an old like argument that's been going on I mean, when people talk about how to interpret art or a book or a movie that they think that it has to be the, the authorial intent is what matters. Authorial intent, yeah, okay. Right, and that's not true, right? Things can have can really be a feature of a movie or a book or a piece of art or game unintentionally. So let me give you another analogy. Um, let's say you, uh, let me give an example here. Um, yeah, let's say you uh, you are watching a movie and the movie is supposed to be funny, but there's the scene where there's all these clowns that like come up and get in your face and are laughing. And well, maybe it's, you know, because that can be kind of scary actually, or kind of like, you know, creepy or something. Sure. Okay, well, they didn't intend it that way, but it ended up being really creepy. Or movies are trying to be really serious and you just end up laughing at them, right? So that happens all the time, right? And to say that, well, they didn't mean it to be ridiculous, doesn't mean it's not ridiculous, right? And doesn't mean it can't have that make people in the theater laugh. Well, similarly, somebody might be trying to be, I mean, you want another one? Go back and watch some movies from the 80s and before. And you'll see things that you, even nowadays by our sensibilities, you're, you, might, you might make you cringe. You know, you're like, ee, like go back and watch, what is it? 16 Candles, there's like an Asian exchange student called Long Duck Dong. And, you know, he has the ridiculous accent that's a parody and it's, it's racist. It just is. And, you know, they weren't trying to be racist. They just were trying to make jokes. You want to go back further, go to Breakfast at Tiffany's where Mickey Rooney played a Japanese guy, Mickey Rooney, a white man. And it's, it's just, it's, it's gross. It's pretty racist. There's no avoiding it. That's like, that's bad. Yeah. And that's something that we're, having, it. we're having a hard time with distinguishing like, okay, they didn't mean it from like, it's racist anyway. You know, yeah. like we didn't say, we, we, like, and that's, that's something I've been over backwards to say. Here's like, the thing. Another yeah. thing is it's the difference between saying the product is racist and the author is racist. Right. They can argue that author is not racist. They didn't mean that. Okay, fine. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they aren't. But or, the product might be. Or the audience is racist for liking it. That is one of the and things that people will that's say. That's a big thing that's yeah. like, oh, are you calling me racist because I like this thing? It's like, oh, I will never call people racist. However, please, let's just try to take those labels aside and, and look at the thing. Yeah, right. right. No, that's people identify with this. This is our, their hobby. They love a thing. And when you're pointing out something problematic about it, they, they take it as a critique of them. You know what it sounds a lot like to me? When somebody says, 
I love my country, but here's something that could be better. And then somebody says, how dare you? Love it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, I, are we like that with people? Like if my, if my spouse makes a mistake, I'm like, well, it's a divorce. I can't, you made it. I can't say, or do I just have to say, no, 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 that's not a mistake. No, grownups are able to both love something and see the ways in which it's imperfect. That's per, I don't see so, but I, people take it as an attack on them and they sometimes their emotions get the better of them and they don't respond in a way that uh, is mature. And they'll, so like, so they'll take an attack on them. Right. And that clouds the ability to talk about it. And then there's that specter of cancellation. Right? Yeah, like we're taking it away. So now we can fit transition to another aspect of your project. Right. So what you are doing is what I do, what I called rearrange the dots, right? Mm -hmm. There's the D&D yeah. &D presents a bunch of dots. And what you're doing is you're dislocating and rearranging things. You're not actually removing things. So let's talk about what you're doing and then talk about it in terms of that broader. Well, I mean, it's the broader context of like quote unquote cancellation, but let's talk about now let's, we can drill down on what you actually do to try to help this situation. Okay. So first of all, I, the way I presented the product is always, this is an optional uh, uh, supplement. I, in the product, do not say anybody who's playing D&D &D as written is a racist or is awful. No, that's just not true. Um, right. I'm simply saying that this is something that the first part of the book, as you know, is an essay that's explaining why I thought this was worth doing. And then the rest of the book is like, and if you think that you would like to make an alternative available. Maybe you're, you've got players who are like, eh, I don't want to play act racism again. Here's a way to solve it. But the thing that's nice about what I think uh, it works for the thing is it's plug and play. And it really doesn't change anything if you don't want to use the specific rules. Like if you want to play just a traditional elf, just like in the player's handbook, you, instead of choosing elf race, you chose elf ancestry and culture. And it's literally identical. It's just elf. Right. So it doesn't actually impact you at all if you don't choose to engage with that rule. Think of it like an optional rule in the sidebar in the DMG. You know, it's like, well, you could do variant encumbrance if you want. I'm not forcing everyone to use variant encumbrance. I'm saying that if that's your jam, mm -hmm. here it is. And it's super easy to just swap this out because you because that allows you, maybe you want to raise, you want to play Aragorn from Tolkien and you want to be a human raised by elves, but you want it to reflected, you know, mechanically. And so then you choose human ancestry, elf culture. So and break that down. That. So what you've done is, here's what you've done. You've taken race, mm -hmm. right? And race is this, uh, this kind of sloppy agglomeration of what we call ancestry and culture, the, the nature and nurture. Yep. Right? What, what race is, is, is basically this, this cake of nature and nurture together. Yep. And we don't differentiate it. And it's also like hierarchical. Like we never talk about race in terms of like equal race. We always talk about it in terms of hierarchy, right? Human race and then all the other races or, or whatever, however that works. So then you took race and you split it off into ancestry and culture. Talk yes. So, I mean, if you actually look at the, so the category race is a mechanical uh, term and concept in Dungeons and Dragons that points, picks out a set of traits, right? So it's like an ability score increase. It's a speed, it's a size, it's a, something about your age, like how, how the average age of that members of that race. And then it gives you a couple specialized traits like dark vision or fey ancestry or gnome cunning or whatever, right? Um, and uh, that's it. That's what race is in D&D. So, but the thing is, if you look at the list of things, some of them are obviously biological, like whether you have wings of the Aarakocra, gills of the Triton, uh, dark vision eyes of the elf, 
Fae ancestry is about literally the fact that you have descended from uh, elves that came from the Fae wild or whatever the story is. Um, but those others are obviously not like elf weapon training. Right. Well, you had to be trained or, or language. You Elves aren't born knowing Elvish. They have to be taught it just like everyone else has to be taught yeah. language. Bonus language and all that. Right. So, or a, a skill proficiency, prof, like the dwarves having proficiency with Smith's tools, right? They're, they're not, I mean, you can, you can tell a story where they're literally born knowing how to Smith or something, but that's not generally the way that we think about a skill proficiency. So all I did was I just said for each one, I said, well, let's just put all the biological ones under a cat, new category called ancestry and all the cultural ones, the ones that are taught under a category called culture. And then you can mix and match. Even if you don't mix and match, you're at least acknowledging that hey, the fact that uh, uh, whatever elves are more dexterous or more intelligent or something isn't inborn. It's not innate. It's just that they have a culture that values learning, right? And so that takes what's called the essentialism out of the way you talk about race in the game. The essentialism being the idea that it's it's uh, part of the essential nature of the people to be a certain way. You see this in, in American culture or in global culture where people might say members of that ethnicity or race are they're really good at sports or they're really smart or they're lazy or they're hardworking, right? You get those sorts of, those are stereotypes. Sure. And the thing that we do in D and D without thinking about it is we just say, that's an okay way to talk about people uh, because orcs just are stupid and savage. No matter where and, they are, no matter where they're born, no matter how, who right. they're born to, it, it's always the barbaric and menacing. Yep. And yep. there's a very famous scene. Well, if you move in certain circles in an R.A. Salvatore book where Dritz Dorden, his famous uh, drow ranger uh, is. Uh, I love how you a, do the dual wield. when you talk The dual about wielding, this. right? Right. <laughs> so um, has the uh, encounters like there's a fight, they, they slay some orcs, but then they find orc babies. And one of his companions is like getting ready to kill them. And, uh, Dritz stops because Dritz, of course, is a drow. And so he is the kind of person that others thought was by nature evil. But he knows that if it put in the right circumstances, different cultural contexts, people can be, make different choices. And so he stops her from killing the, uh, the baby orcs. And it's, it's actually, you know, like to Salvatore's credit, I think it's, you know, and this was written you know, years ago. Sure. And it's, it's a, it's a nice note. It's a, and it's really just what I'm trying to make the same sort of point here. And it doesn't mean that if you want to play the traditional game, you are a racist. And it, it doesn't mean that the people who created, I do not think that the lead rules designer and lower people over at Wizards of the Coast are racists because they wrote this game. Not at all. Um, I just think that there's elements of it that can make people, some people not be able to enjoy the game as much. It's really, I mean, it's almost not, I don't see how it's all that different really from when you point out to a somebody, to a game designer, oh, did you know this board is really hard to read for colorblind people? Mm. You know what I mean? You're like, you might not know this, but you actually make the game harder to play for some people mm -hmm. by insisting that a whole race of people can be evil and worthy of just eradication. Because, you know, we used to talk that way about, you know, the Germans talked that way once about 75 years ago. We didn't like that. Let's maybe, do we need to talk that way? It's right. kind of gross. It Somebody was, um, might say, right? I used an example in a, in a follow video about um, George R. Martin, the way he wrote Tyrion Lannister mm -hmm. yeah. in uh, the very first Game of Thrones. This was in the, the late 90s, I think. 
the you know enter scene Tyrion the first time you see him and this is before everything that happened uh Tyrion is like sitting on a um a door and he does like a backflip and like a little tumble off of the door and it's like ta da I'm Tyrion I'm here and like it was like he apparently like this was the, if if there was one thing that GR can change it would be that scene because it was like he was just kind of going off the little man stereotype of like okay they're all flippy and everything like that so it's like okay he got feedback from people who are like that's not our life like yeah. <laughs> that's not what we do like we're in a lot of pain actually <laughs> oftentimes and he ended up writing that into the story into the later stories and he ended up being able to say okay my father sees me like that and that's a problem you yeah. know and that and, and actually creates more um it makes it you know by having that check and you know making it more real life it actually is it make the story richer you know, and I and some of the pushback I get is like, okay, um, you know, we have to keep like, you know, authorial, not just authorial intent, but like authorial autonomy, right? We can't like put this stuff on the author. We want to be, want them to be free to make what they want. Although that's how we get good stuff. Yeah. I get that to an extent, but it's like, you know, what about like, okay, how about bringing real life to the author? I thought, you know, don't authors want to make things that are, you know, resonant with real people, you know, yeah. as, as an act of empathy. So it's like, okay, you know, here's a, <laughs> and you know, it's it just kind of multiplies over and over and over again. Like we need to be able to bring these personal experiences, and if the author does something with it, then that's yeah, that's the, that's the best of both worlds. Yeah, you know? no, that, I think that's right. I, I I mean, and if you want to be mercenary about it, again, it's just good business, right? Like, why would you make a product that you want to sell as many copies of as possible? Have stuff built into it that turns a percentage of your audience off and and makes them not interested in it. That's just not good business. And, it, and set the money aside. I mean, we just, I, I'd like to think that most of us want the game to be something that anybody can enjoy. And if you had, I mean, imagine if in the game you had, like I said, some other unpleasant elements that alienated a portion of your audience because it just didn't, it's written in a way that other people just didn't realize. And, you know, if, and so if people complain, I mean, I will say that well, the creators themselves, at least for the past few editions, all, and I'm, yes, the creators of third and fourth edition too, generally agree with this move to make, to make these changes. So you talk about like being good business. You talk about, okay, why alienate part of your audience? I think there's a core of people who believe, and maybe it's by more than a core, it's a lot of comments that I get, that like by, you know, quote unquote changing, you know, canceling or whatever, then we're making it good for this audience, but it kind of like making it worse for the original audience, right? Uh, we're making it safer. We're making it, uh, we're taking things out, canceling, you know, uh, and it's just, it, you know, you, you can't please everybody. So when you try to please everybody, you're going to please nobody. You end up with like a, a like a, a, a blank mush, right? So then. <laughs> How do you respond to that? Yeah, yeah you know, I, I, I don't want to lead you into that because I'm, I'm pretty, I'm like, I'm tossing meatballs over here. <laughs> no, no, I'm happy. I mean, that's, yeah, I get that. Like, oh, I see how it is. They're more, blah, blah, blah. okay, well, two things. Um, one, I, I, I mean, I would ask somebody who feels that way to, uh, to honestly imagine the situation we're talking about here just for a second with some empathy. Imagine you sit yeah, down with, right? You sit down with a friend and you pull out a game that they haven't played and you have and you like the game. And it just so happens that there's one part they're like, oh man, that that's really gross or whatever that, or like, I hate the way that figure looks. Can we take it out and play something else or, or like, just like substitute something else for it that doesn't bother me as much or whatever, or I'm colorblind. I need you to change that. That person is being like, you're removing a barrier from them getting to enjoy the game with you. 
And if I really don't think that in most cases, removing that barrier so your friend can play doesn't like, well, that just ruins the game for me. I mean, if I don't have those closely, you know, like that particular mini or this particular color pattern, I don't like this game anymore. You're going to prevent me from playing because of your colorblindness. Most people aren't going to say that. They're just going to be like, all right, well, whatever. I mean, I maybe I like the other colors a little better, but I don't mind if they make a change that's just allows more people to play. I really don't think any of these people sit down and read a fantasy book and say, you know, I like that, but it needed a lot more racism in it. Don't you think? <laughs> like, why wasn't there more slavery in that story? Hmm. I, I don't, I really don't think that's how they think. I mean, maybe there's a very small percentage that are actually racist people that think that, but most of the people yeah, that, that yeah. yeah, right. Most of the people that we're talking about are people that feel like they don't understand why you're making these changes and they, they don't, um, uh, they think it's like, you know, you're making a mountain out of a molehill sort of thing. But, you know, I'd ask them again, just like, well, I mean, imagine if you prevented you from playing, you might care a little more and changing it so the other person can play doesn't prevent you from playing. If it, you do the change as well. Right. Yeah. Well, that's true. Obviously it can be done well. poorly. Absolutely. It can be done poorly. Um, I, you know, I'll let, and I'd like to point out as well that at least the changes I made, if you don't like that part, you can still play a, the, you know, the elfiest elf that ever elfed, right? Uh, it's, there's no, no one's preventing you from playing an elf and elves don't, are not suddenly not any different anymore from dwarves and orcs and halflings. It doesn't make them all the same. It doesn't turn everything into homogenous, boring, safe, right? You can still right. have uh, your elves be very different from your halflings. Halflings are still size small. Elves are still generally size medium. Elves have dark vision. Halflings don't. Elves have fey ancestry. Halflings don't. You see what I mean? Like, so drill down on that. I think people okay. need to be reassured on that level of like, you know, because we talked about this before the call of like, okay, okay, what are you going to do? Take race out? You know, that, that I think that, that the line is, okay, you're taking the racism out by taking the race out. And now right. oh, we're all kind of funny looking humans. And right. they drill down on that. Reassure the peoples, Eugene. You reassure the peoples. <laughs> okay. So that can do that. So at least in the rules I make and uh, what happened, you know, all the, all the traits are still the same. All I'm saying is that elves get some of their traits from their parents and some of their traits they're taught when they grow up. They, but the end product is still as Legolas as you want it to be, right? Uh, with your dwarves, right? Same thing, right? They're, they're, you get your Gimli and your Legolas produced. All it says is two things. It, it reassures the reader or it makes it clearer to the reader. Hey, these behaviors are taught. They're not inborn. That's all. That's one big, that's the one major thing it does. It just draw, it just changes the way we talk about it so that it, that's clearer. And then the second thing is by doing that, we do allow people to mix and match and have a little more flexibility with their characters. And that would be, like I said, Aragorn, the human raised by elves. So he knows Elvish and he has uh, some elven abilities that uh, like he knows some, you know, healing herbs and stuff like this that uh, other humans don't because he's taught them. And so- Right. That's all that does. It, but, so, yeah, it is true that you will occasionally get the character that's kind of a mix. Dwarf raised by elves or gnomes raised by halflings. And that might be a little unusual and a little bit more complicated than the simple. There's the seven players handbook races or whatever, but it's really not that weird. And in fact, it makes for a lot better story. And it, it's kind of hard to imagine how that couldn't happen. Are you trying to tell me that in the thousands of years of say, for example, the forgotten realms, there was never a dwarf adopted by elves. Like they find a dwarf baby and they raise it or vice versa. And that, that, yeah. you, that, that product of the person that was, you know, that's the result of that is going to be kind of a mix. 
or it happens in real life where you're like, you know, I, I'm, I follow a lot of mixed martial arts, right? Mm. And in mixed martial arts, you'll have this weird thing sometimes where it's like a sensei will move, you know, uh, let's say a sensei from East Asia will move into like Denmark mm. and then we'll train like a, 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 sl- a, a school of like these badass, um, in, you know, badass martial artists in that tradition, but they're from Denmark. <laughs> you know, and it's like just it that happens all the time in, in real life. So like you might have the, the equivalent would be like, you know, you're an orc, but you that particular group, brand of orcs migrated to the base of a wizard tower. Right. And now, you know, they have orc stuff, which is the tusks and the eyes and the, they have the green skin, whatever you have. But they also but they don't have menacing and, you know, whatever those traits are. Right. Uh, menacing or what, what, what are the ones? Powerful build. Um, savage attacks and savage attack, yeah, blood loss are the two yeah you know a blood loss whatever orcs, at yeah. least yeah and 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 the minus stat so like in fi- in fifth edition if you play full like orcs, an orc yeah. orc a yeah. full orc a half orc doesn't have that but in fifth edition the, right. i don't know if they used to but like they the, the 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 orc orc definitely had the minus two end so like you know you no longer have the minus two end you now have might have a plus two end and or, the, or your plus two end would come from culture right that's exactly right. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't actually make, all it does is it makes a, some more interesting characters possible. Like I see your Eric's or uh, Aragorn's or your, if you want to use a Terry Pratchett, Karen, a uh, carrot, iron founderson is a human raised by dwarves. Um, and, you know, I, I distinctly remember Terry Pratt, uh, Ed Greenwood, the creator of the forgotten realms reporting, telling me it's in print now too. And uh, that uh, he was talking to Terry Pratchett, creator of Discworld, famous fantasy author, and how in the D&D world, somebody like Carrot Iron Founderson is possible. Somebody who is of one ethnicity, but raised in a different culture and thus has different uh, uh, traits from your average person. And also that there are many cases where like more than just humans can have offspring with other people of other ancestries, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the creator of the Forgotten Realms is on board with this and has been since, you know, he, he said that he and Terry Pratchett and Gary Gygax were talking at Gen Con in the late 70s, and they all agree that this is how it's supposed to work in D&D. And it's just that that got lost, you know, it didn't really make it into the rules, rule books, and then it got kind of uh, codified over the years. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be that way. It wasn't really intended to be that way. And it doesn't yeah. hurt to allow it. Yeah, in terms of the cancel stuff, like I, I, I really I, I need to emphasize this, and you mentioned this before about like the Drist example. This stuff has been in the role playing game since the very beginning. Like yeah. you, you know, you have if you look at the different stat layouts for the dwarves and the elven halflings, you always have alternates. You know, like you always have like you have your halfling, you know, your your, your essential halfling, and then you have like the lightfoot halfling and the stout the stout leaf halfling, and you know you have you know sun elves and dwarves and all these other things. And like they're there and, and they all have different stats and they have different, and that's what we're talking about. They're still elves because they get the biological stuff, but all the cultural stuff is different. All we're doing is trying to take the essential one out and say, okay, no, all of the races depend on the culture that in which they grew up. There's certain stuff that stays there. So please, tieflings still have dark vision people. <laughs> you can still have your shark people with like with claws. We're not just making funny looking humans. It's just now they're now they're different depending on where they were raised. Exactly. And so it's, I mean, I will say just a side note that so that's exactly what is uh, uh intended. But I also think that honestly, it's just kind of makes for better storytelling too, yeah. to change this, to make it not a just 
essential to race. For example, I've had people say, yeah, but if you do that with orcs, you're saying that they're not inherently evil. Who are my characters? Who are my players going to want to fight? And it's very simple. Instead of it being a horde of orcs that are evil because of their parents, it's a group of people. Maybe they're mostly orcs. It doesn't really matter who are brigands or who are mercenaries or who are led by a charismatic ruler that wants to conquer the land. You don't think there's enough potential for evil in adults making choices? Of course there is, right? It's just that when you slaughter the, the hordes that are attacking you or the brigands that are trying to ambush you, you do it because they're making bad decisions. They're making evil choices, not because of their DNA is evil or because you would have slaughtered them when they were a baby. You know, that's, no, you don't have, that's lazy storytelling. It's much more interesting if the bad guys did made a choice to be bad. Right? right. And right. so that's not changing any, no adventure needs to get thrown out because if you can just say, well, they chose to be in the horde. And it's funny, like, you know, because I mean, Star Trek has the same problem, right? So it's like you have the races and like the Ferengi are always this and the Klingons are always this. And yeah. when they come on the scene, they are. But then you get into it and you tell yeah. more stories and, you know, and you get into like, you know, the different characters, they, they always flesh out. Yeah. So it's like we always get there. <laughs> well, not always, but like we often get there, especially when you get into the weeds of the better storytellers. Yeah. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to like make that that initial encounter with an orc or an elf or a Ferengi. Or we're trying to make that initial encounter, like you said before, like make, make people think twice about like, OK, why are they? Yeah, it's, I mean, I just think it's, I mean, I happen to think it's more interesting storytelling. I mean, the another trope that people like to probably ought, maybe aren't aware of if they're not thinking about this or experience living it is this trope of like the good X. So there's this idea, and this is something that some people have, a, you know, are a little uncomfortable with like drow and dritz. Mm -hmm. Although I said, Salvatore does a good job actually, I think of addressing some of that. Uh, but uh, is the idea, well, they're all evil, but I know, there is the, there's this one good one and he's the exception to his mm -hmm. race. And people used to talk that way often about like minority groups. They'd say like, what are you talking about? I'm not racist. I have a, you know, a black friend or whatever, or, well, he's one of the good ones. Not like, you know, the rest of them that's still racist. Right. Yeah, so or like, like a PC, right. Okay. The, I come from this race, but my PC is all complicated and everything like my right. character that I'm invested in. And you're speaking, going back to Gloomhaven, like, you know, my Vermling is awesome. My Vermling is badass, And he, he does this as another thing. So therefore it can't be racist because like I can make a cool Vermling. Yeah. You can play an orc there. You're not racist. Right. Well, yeah, but you're like the only orc that can read in the whole darn world for some reason. And doesn't deserve to be slaughtered as a baby or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, these are, again, no, I'm not saying that those, here's another thing. I'm not saying those themes can't be in somebody's game. I am saying, however, that they should be an option, not a requirement. If people want to play, like, look, there are plenty of people uh, who are whatever, white or people of color or whatever, who they might want to play a game with like difficult social themes murder <laughs> or yeah or maybe they right, want to play yeah. a game in which they, they, want they are be, bad they want to be gnarly yeah yeah or they want to play a game maybe that's like where they're the rebels fighting a, a a slave empire right and so they want to like address slavery and how there's all this racism in the world some people enjoy that and that's fine but it shouldn't be like well you're not playing D, &D if there isn't racism in it that that's it doesn't have to be like a baked in requirement in character creation it right. should be like a storytelling option that's all Right. So the people who want to play games like that, nothing changes. Right. Nobody, the, the D and D police will not kick down their door and take their game away. Right. Right. Okay. It's just, if people want to play 
in a way that's more inclusive, here's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And so talk about species. We talked about species uh, also before. So like that, as someone would say, okay, we'll just call race species and that'll yeah. solve the problem. Yeah, changing the name from sp- uh, race to species to uh, lineage, things like that. I think that's a nice start. But if you're just using another word to still say that there is a people that simply in virtue of their birth are evil and deserving of slaughter or are savage and ignorant or uncivilized, you didn't really change anything, right? That's, in fact, if you go back and look at the way people talk about, uh, you know, about racism in the history, often they might not have used the word race. They'd say like the peoples of the new world are, or the peoples of sub-Saharan Africa are, well, they didn't use the word race. So whatever they are going to say, it can't be racist. No, that's not how it works. It's the concept that somebody can be good or evil, a savage or intelligent or civilized simply because of who their parents are. And that's just, doesn't, that's not how the real world actually works. And all I'm suggesting is that having being forced to role play that some people don't like that. And so you don't have to, if you don't want to. Right. And the, so the issue with, with species is that we are, we've constructed a world where we have different, you know, people of different races, quote unquote, whatever. Uh, I'll, I'll, we'll use your word, ancestries. We have mm. different, we have people of different ancestries that are sentient and that can, we, with which we can interbreed. So once you, so like by calling something a species, you're basically, you know, you're kind of throwing those two things out, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, here's another species. And like, no, no, they, they probably don't have sentience because we only know one species, species in our world with sentience. Uh, human species, uh, and then they can't. We can't breed with them. We all humans can only breed with humans. But in these fantasy worlds, they have sentience and they can breed. So calling them a diff- calling them species, ugh, you know that that doesn't do anything, right? We we still need to deal with the problem of of different pe- people that are different than us, who we can talk to, and with whom we can breed. Yeah, I mean that that. It's, I think that's right. I don't think how changing the word to species doesn't help. And I don't think that thinking about it in terms of 21st century earth science is necessarily somebody I've heard, I've had people say, well, that's unrealistic because, you know, because in the rules that I wrote, you can mix and match species and cultures. And you could also have people from two cultures, uh, I'm sorry, two different ancestries have a, a baby. There's rules for you know, like mixed ancestry children or mixed ancestry characters. You can and have are, like like dwarf gnome baby. Yeah, dwarf gnome or elf, ha- you know, like, uh, you know, uh, elf orc or halfling gnome, you know, that sort of thing. And like, well, why not? Why not? It's not just human and elf and human and orc. I mean, fourth edition and third edition had half dwarves, half human, half dwarf. They're called mules and they were in Dark Sun, right? One of the settings. So, I mean, where, where would happen to them? Well, they, we just don't have those now. Um, I think calling them mules isn't really the best name because that's a reference to a donkey and a, anyway. Um, so, uh, but some people are like, well, that's not biologically realistic. And I want to ask them, is our fire breathing dragons biologically <laughs> realistic? We're going to pull the scientifically realistic. This, this game has the wish spell, right? I can teleport instantaneously <laughs> to anywhere on the same plane of existence. And you're telling me about the laws of biology? Come on. I think I can suspend my disbelief enough to allow somebody to have a, a character whose father was a dwarf and mother was a gnome. Like, is that, that's not that weird. But people like to argue about it. 
All right. So I think we've covered enough of the ground. Like, I mean, you try to talk to people, right? You try to like meet them where they are because I, yeah. I don't a person that tries to bridge gaps and, you know, I, I want to, you know, continue to receive people's questions and have guests on that can kind of, you know, elaborate on some stuff. It gets to a point where it's like, okay, I, you know, there's only so much we could do because we're trying to bridge an empathy gap. We're trying to bridge a, bridge a perspective gap. And at this point, I feel like, you know, at the, you know, you have to like, just extend the invitation. Look, this is, we are trying to, as best as we can to articulate our perspective. Right. Yeah. And, and it's a perspective you adopted because you don't necessarily naturally have that perspective. It's just something that you, you know, acquired again with your nurture, with your, you know, culture and the way that you grew up and all that kind of thing. So like we, like, we are trying people. <laughs> trying. Right. And right. I think that's why I, it's, it's also one of the reasons why I try to make analogies to things that are going to be more familiar, like colorblindness or other situations where you're like, oh, well, I'm willing to make this simple change or accommodation to let people in that it, it seems non-political. It's just like, well, that's just decent. That's just being like a nice person, right. you know, or considerate of others or something. I, I don't see how this is all that different. And then also putting it in dollars talk marketing. This is about getting a larger audience, which gives us a stronger hobby, which gives us more and better games. Wouldn't, why wouldn't, who doesn't want that? Right. right. So th that, that kind of helps push the, you know, even if there's a little empathy shortfall, right. Right. Gets you over the hump. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're, we're, there's two walls. There's the don't take my stuff wall. And there's a don't tell me what to do wall. Yeah. Right? Fair. You know, so like, uh, and the wall is like, okay, it, we're saying all this stuff. Does that mean we're going to cancel our stuff? Well, no. I mean, you have a product right here, Dr. Marshall, like really inspiring to me, the way he was able to take race and break it down, nature and nurture. You get the same thing, but we now we can flip between the nature and the nurture and kind of do that. That That is not the, tech, the technical definition of not cancellation. All you're doing is rearranging. And then, you know, the don't tell me what to do. We don't want who, people who enjoy the, the basic stuff to say, you know, we're not going to call them racist. We're not going to call, we're not going to, you know, uh, you know, say that you're bad. You know, it's just, it's an invitation, right? It's an invitation to consider, to think twice and to say, okay, are you really attached to this? You know, like, or, or what parts of it are you attached to? Like maybe you're attached to certain, maybe, you know, we can keep what you love and then take out like stuff that maybe you don't love so much. And or, or you, you, you kind of hoarded the whole thing, but it's like, okay, take that, this, this, and this, can we, you know, and then like replace it with better stuff and you can have right. the same thing. Right. right. And the thing is, the thing that I think a lot of people who really want to dig in their heels on this don't maybe not realize is, as I mentioned before, these ideas have been at least at play present some of the time in the game since its origin. But like, if you want to see an example of what, what D and D with some of these things, at least changed, look at Eberron. Eberron is one of the big settings and guess what? There are nations of civilized orcs, in Eberron and they, and an orc can be a wizard and can, or do whatever they, so one of the great thing that about uh, Keith Baker's Eberron is that they really kind of avoid a lot of those like stereotype tropes. I think he went, I think he intentionally went against a lot of the stereotypes with like the, the orc nation and the traveling elves and the different right. things that have happened. Yeah. And so, I mean, I just, there's lots of, I just, we, I think it's smart for us to want to facilitate stories like that. That's all. And center them, you know, yeah. that those are supplements. You know, right, to that's actually true. bring them into the main core book. Yeah. Right? That's sure. the trick. That's the, it's they've been there the whole time. It's just not in the core book all the time. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it's in Tasha's some of those changes. So talk about uh, Tasha's a little bit. We can kind of start to okay, what has been done now? So then okay, okay yeah. So you had so you know, Black Lives Matter happen, the statement happened from Watsi, the you know, you released your book at the same time, which uh, you know, you know, not like 
every single person who owned fifth edition is, has bought your book, but it's in the, the bloodstream, yeah, so to speak. Uh, and then I think it was a couple of months later, um, Tasha's Closet of Everything, the supplement came out. Yep. It came out in November. So it was like six months mm-hmm. and uh, five months after their statement. And it has a page and a half or so at the very beginning of the book that just basically says, hey, um, if you want to play a character that isn't the same as the race in the player's handbook, you can just add, put the uh, ability score increases, you know, like the plus two to intelligence, plus one to dex that a high elf might have. And just say, well, you know what? My high elf is going to be a, a tough high elf. So they're going to have a plus two to con and a plus one to wisdom or whatever. Okay. So Tasha's gives you rules to do that. And then it says you can take one um, skill proficient or tool proficiency and swap it out for another one. And you can change the language. That's what it, it says. Those are the rules you can do. See, a race can be anything you want it to be. But, um, and that's a good start. And they say they're going to be making more changes in future books. The, the, there's an upcoming book in which the drow are kind of reframed so that they're not biologically evil. It's culturally uh, problematic. So that they're clearly aware and doing good work. The most recent couple books have continued. You know, Candlekeep Mysteries has got a lot of great stuff in it and so on. So, uh, and also I might add fantastic uh, list author teams. So lots of great uh, people working on this stuff too, doing good jobs. But um, it's still, it's got some work to do because of course these are all supplements, but they're not going to issue. I just don't, I don't expect them to put out a new fifth edition player's handbook that solves this problem because they've been, they've worked pretty hard to allow those core three books to be really all you need to play the game. And so, you know, maybe that'll be fully integrated in sixth edition, whenever that is, (laughs) which frankly I hope is not for a while. Fifth edition is doing great. Um, I mean, but, you could uh, have, they did a 3.5. They did, or they did in fourth edition, they had the essentials line, right? Which are just kind of like edited and, and like streamlined versions of the original books. Right. So, you know, they could give it a fifth edition essentials player's handbook, but I don't think they will. Uh, but uh, so, you know, okay. There are things that I would have, I would have liked not to have appeared in the original three core books or this really it's the player's handbook, but uh, they're doing a decent job trying to fix those things. I do think that Tasha's isn't good enough. Because A, it, it lets you make the one exception character. You, it's like all the drow are by nature evil, but you're the good drow or you're the smart or the one like a civilized orc. So, you know, eh, not a big fan of that. And then B, it doesn't address the fact that just some of the traits are a little bit, you can't swap out. Like you can't, the rules, the creation rules, you can't change uh, savage attacks because it's not a skill proficiency. So orcs are still by nature savage. And I'm not a big fan of calling using the word savage to describe any entire race of people, right? Savage equals biology is not good. Right. That's not that's good. big history there. That, that not good. If people want to really focus on something like the idea of savage, right? And and the fact that that equals biology, you know, that has a massive cultural lineage. And if you're going to be kind of ignorant about that, it's like, no, 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 you're, you're putting it in there. Like read up on how conquering people saw you know, uh, native peoples who resisted, you know, like they're always savage. They're always warlike. They're all, they use these stigmatizing words and, the, and, and, and always biologically by their inherent yeah. nature and their DNA, there are these things. And oh, yeah. that is not something we want in our games. And, and by taking that out, we're not just taking the savage out. I think people say that's okay. Our orcs not gonna be savage anymore. So cool. I think of course be savage. You can be savage as you want, but that comes from their heritage. It comes or it comes from their their their, uh, their cultural heritage, right? Not yeah. from their biology, right. right? The only thing that comes from their biology is like the survival stuff, tusks. 
Yeah. Right. The physical stuff, like they're, whether they have wings or not, like an Aarakocra, right? I mean, no, that's not going to be something that you can just swap around, right? And it shouldn't be because, I mean, you can if you really want to, but as part of the core of the game, eh. Eric Oker have wings. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing. And so somebody will say, well, why is that okay? Right. Aren't you still being racist? Here's what I do as, uh, and I mentioned this earlier in a kind of a clumsy way that I think it's important for people that aren't necessarily members of marginalized groups to just spend a second listening to people who are talk about this because they know what it's like in a way that I didn't. So I, when I listen to player D&D players of color or whatever, you know what they say? They say the fact that Eric Coker have wings and Tritons have gills doesn't feel gross to me. It doesn't, it's not inappropriate. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. But if you're going to say that everyone born of with that color skin is a savage, that's a little too close to, that reminds me a little too much of, you know, the stories my grandfather told me that Mm -hmm. were why we were, you know, suffered for centuries or something, right? Real world impacting things make them like, yeah, that's kind of makes me uncomfortable. But so I say, well, if they say that, so that's not cool, but this stuff is fine. I'm, I'm fine with to follow that, to follow their lead. Yeah. Dr. Eugene Marshall, this was amazing. Thank you so much for breaking stuff down. Have we missed anything? Is there anything, uh, any part of your project that you, that you talk a lot about of, or that, um, that you talk a lot about and, or other otherwise uh, that we have missed in this conversation? No, I mean, that covers the core stuff, right? That's that's kind of the argument I make at the essay at the beginning of the book, so. Mm-hmm. And so you have different supplements that have come out since then. Talk, talk about a little bit about that. Yeah, so the the core book is literally just the races from the, uh, the core races from the player's handbook, one sub-race per, and that's because of the legal way that Wizards of the Coast lets people use the D&D products through what's called the open gaming license. That's all, I, that's all we're, I'm legally allowed to, to use. But I did issue, after that original book came out that has some adventures in it too, um, four or five books that have some total of maybe 140 or 150 homebrew races that are, or rather ancestries and cultures, that are, many of them are obvious, let's say homages or analogs to the published official races. So yeah, there's not Aarakocra because that's copyright Wizards of the Coast, but there are bird folk that are strikingly similar. And it's just the rules for how you would uh, play, use them with this ancestry and culture system. And, you know, there's, so, you know, there's five uh, supplements. So Mm -hmm. they're out there if you want, they're all on drive-thru and, you know, all very reasonably priced. <laughs> Bird folk, rock creatures, uh, you know, de- half demon creatures. You oh, yeah. can have it all, people. We could have it all. It's just, it, it, it's about how you do it. It's about how you do it. When it, you know, when you clump it all in terms of this one word race, nature and nurture becomes a problem. When you can separate it out, that's where we can open up not only uh, less harm overall, but better storytelling. And more exactly. deep and deeper storytelling, and and to put it, and it's all there. All we're saying is put it in the main books, and That'd make us nice. make that the front facing stuff. Yeah, it, not just in D D, but you know, this has very been, been a very D D such conversation because Doctor Marshall is a you know a, that's that's his heritage. But like we do it too in our board game. Like I see all these board games over here. You know, like, you know Gloomhaven and you know a, the pandemic like Legacy and all kind of stuff. That that it, this stuff we borrow. From this stuff all the time so i hope that people you know who may not have a specific D background can get a lot of this conversation as a translator to what they're familiar with 
So uh, you have uh, so Arcanist Pressed is more than just this. Yes. But you have more stuff that going on. So maybe share a little bit more about what Arcanist Pressed is up to. Oh, well, thank you. So yeah, though this is the was the big thing that we spent the past most of the year doing. But we've got a new project that we're co- we're working with in partnership with uh, Sigil Entertainment, is another company that has a lot of art. It's an art studio to release a superhero game nice. called S5E. It's kickstarting in uh, a week. And wow. that, from this recording at least, it's a tabletop role-playing game, superheroes, that uses the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons rules. And it's completely compatible. So if somebody knows D&D, they could pick up this book and you can play modern 21st century superheroes. And if if the playtesters are right, then pretty much all of your favorite uh, movie superheroes or comic book heroes, you can uh, kind of embody and uh, duke it out in the streets. How long is the project run? Uh, the, it's, I think it's going to be a three or four week Kickstarter. I'd been, I wrote the book and I'd been writing it for a year or two, probably around the same time as our, as this other project started, but you know, it went through several iterations. It's like a 300 page book. And there's also going to be a supplemental setting and monster book and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, it, and it, the art is amazing. This is why we wanted to have Sigil Entertainment take care of this. Cause they are getting, this art is like high quality comic book art, right? And the cover is by, speaking of uh, one of my favorite comic book artists, uh, Sanford Green, who is the uh, famous uh, artist and creator of Bitter Root. He just, he won an Eisner uh, last year. They're making it into a movie. Uh, And he did, he's done like Black Panther and all kinds of uh, fantastic work uh, in the comic book world. So uh, that's the next big thing for us. So that's launching this coming Tuesday? Tuesday, yeah, exactly right. A week, uh, no, like two days, two couple days. Oh my gosh! Wow, it's already the twentieth. <laughs> right, the twenty second on Tuesday, um, it's launching, and that's going to go for a couple weeks. Uh, well, we're going to have to get, we're going to have to get this episode up there, and uh, get, you know, obviously, <laughs> whatever crossover people, whatever people are listening, are, are into the tabletop role playing experience, we can get the, you know, every backer counts. So uh, if we can get a couple backers dropped it over there, then hey, even if you just like comic book art, because this thing is going to be uh, just packed with really awesome stuff. All right, uh, Arcanist Press, we're going to be hearing from them a lot, apparently, uh, down the road. And hopefully for, you know, this stuff, too, to get that closer to the core of the games we love. So, Dr. Eugene Marshall, thank you so much for spending the time. Uh, do not be a stranger, please. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much. If you could change your mind, you could change the world. So until next time, later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list.